HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And now that hopefully everyone has had their fill of St. Patrick's Day celebrations and corned beef and cabbage and soda bread and, and all those things that we on this side of the pond consider so Irish, we're going to fill you in a little bit about what's really Irish and what's really worth celebrating over. And by that, I am talking about uh, my guest today, and it is the inimitable Darina Allen. Darina, welcome. Thank you. Thank uh, you for having me back again. Darina is um, the well-known cookbook author, chef, and cooking teacher, cooking instructor, of Ballymaloo Cooking School, and the and once again another visit here to um, to the New York area. Uh, she Ballymaloo Cooking School is in County Cork, Ireland. Correct, That's right? Exactly. Uh, more details, right? More distinct <laughs> location. Should they know? Um, and we, I had the honor of having her on the show a year ago. Those of you who heard that interview, she's back again because. This is the 30th anniversary of the Ballymaloo Cooking School, and I thought, well, what better, what better um, program to present on a culinary history show than an anniversary of a well-respected and long-standing cooking school? I think it's it's fabulous. Welcome, Darina. <laughs> In an unlikely place, when you consider, uh, you know, the uh, image of Irish food uh, for many people in America. So often, people say, well. You know, how come this is such a well-known uh, cooking school in Ireland of all places? And how come, what is it that brings people from all over the world? So it's unlikely, but there you are. We've been, we're celebrating 30 years. Now, in fact, we've lots of celebrations this year. Just before I came over on Wednesday, uh, we celebrated my mother, Myrtle Allen's 90th birthday. And she's the person, of course, who started Ballymoney House originally. And we're also celebrating 50 years of 
Ballymaloo House of the restaurant. And, and that was the restaurant, right? Yes. She started so restaurant. a 90, a 50 and a 30. <laughs> well, it, congratulations. Well, that's a lot to celebrate. Uh, yeah. And uh, the, the rest, that's what I wanted to give people um, an introduction to, because I think so many people, they maybe have heard of Ballymaloo and they know it has something to do with cooking. So I want you to give us that 30-year history, but actually go back before that, because <laughs> Myrtle Allen is your mother-in-law. Exactly, yes. And she started, uh, what was it? First of all, get, talk about the, it's a farm. It's a beautiful farm. Talk about the farm. Um, well, Ballymaloo uh, is in the middle of a uh, 400-acre farm, actually, and then the cooking school is about two miles from there, and that's in the middle of a 100-acre organic farm as well. So we're very close to the sea. It's uh, east of Cork City, right down in the south coast of Ireland. And, of course, it's wonderful to have either um, a hotel and an inn or uh, a restaurant in the middle of a farm. Because, And, of course, with the cooking school, uh, we can grow so much of our own produce so the students literally can see... Uh, how the food is produced from the farm to the fork. And uh, it took me a long time, really, for the penny to drop that uh, this was the ideal uh, situation to to make, do a cooking school in. But um, certainly now, the main reason why students literally come from all four corners of the earth is because they want to reconnect with how food is produced and where it comes from. So they can well, have and, the opportunity. And when the original the idea for the restaurant, when, when Myrtle opened the restaurant, was more of a, like, just a... A farmhouse cooking restaurant? Exactly. Or? Well, basically, it's uh, Ballymaloo is a great, big, beautiful, elegant country house. I mean, the oldest part of Ballymaloo is a 14th century Geraldine Castle. So uh, it is a lovely, big, old, rambling country house. So Myrtle, um, when her children had grown up a bit, they were uh, at boarding school and... Uh, they, you know, she was rattling around in the house almost on her own until they came home on holidays. And she thought, well, look, I'd love to open a little restaurant uh, uh, in the house. You know, we can use the, the the drawing room when people arrive and the dining room, but the guests can eat in the the dining room. And it'll be, it'll be like dining in a country house. And so she decided that she would write the menu every day, um, you know, as one would at that time, depending on what uh, food, you know, what was growing in the kitchen garden, what fish came in from the uh, lovely fresh fish came in from the boats in nearby harbour of Ballycotton and what was in season or what and what meat the local butcher had and you know whether she had lovely big plump chicken or a goose or a turkey or something and uh, that sounds not in the least unusual nowadays but it was completely uh, extraordinary in um, 1960. Uh, for mm. to actually uh, write the menu every day at a time when most restaurants, when they opened, the chef wrote the menu was the same ten years later. That's right. <laughs> uh, but Myrtle just this was she was a housewife. She didn't, uh, you know, she wanted to. She didn't had no training like uh, and didn't wear a big high hat like the real chefs. So she just fed her. She gave her guests uh, the same sort of food as she fed her her family and her uh, friends when they came to dinner. And I always remember my husband because, of course, I came from hotel school and uh, hearing about this woman, this extraordinary woman who was, um, you know, uh, uh, cooking, um, uh, doing this beautiful food uh, from the farm down in Cork and then married, became a mar- member of the family by the simple expedient of marrying the boss's son. <laughs> uh, but I always remember uh, my husband saying to me that um, you know, they heard some sort of talk about maybe opening a restaurant. Then he was at boarding school at the time and suddenly a letter came to say that the restaurant was open and they couldn't wait to get home. 
home because they thought they were going to have proper restaurant food, you know, when they got home. And they were disgusted to find that the mother was serving uh, the guests um, the same food as she served them. But Mom's I mean, cooking. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, but of course, it wasn't just any old mom's cooking because they had a wonderful herd of uh, purebred Jersey cows. So they had uh, Myrtle made wonderful homemade ice cream for them and for the mm-hmm. her guests uh, uh, from that. And the, the, the kitchen garden, two acre kitchen garden was full of vegetables, herbs, fruit, berries, currants. Um, they had their own pigs, so they had wonderful roast pork. They had their own beef. So the, the produce was so beautiful, but she just cooked the same food. But And that was really interesting, too, because at that time, there was a big difference between restaurant food and home food. Yes. I mean, there were... There were dishes that were served in restaurants, but you wouldn't uh, that they would never dream of serving. You know, doing, for example, Myrtle would serve carrageen moss, or she would uh, serve um, uh, rhubarb, or um, lovely fresh mackerel in Fabali cotton. Well, now that was home food or food you served to your guests, but certainly not something you found in a restaurant. So and that really appealed to the the the, the food the restaurant critics. And within two years, she had the top rating in the food guides in the British Isles. Well, it's interesting because it's it's sort of like a, how I, I like to. Say say with many of, of um, the projects and guests that I interview that everything old is new again because this is where this is where the restaurant industry has gone it's come full circle and it's yes. farm to the whole farm to table yes. movement is once again back in fashion yeah. uh, not that it was ever fashionable in those days yes. <laughs> but you know it's funny we, we were always rather amused by this because this is how we always were of course so it's really nice now that there's a real term for it the farm right. farm to fork and all of the other things like foraging and so on that we've you know, we always incorporated and Myrtle did too wild foods and foraged foods and uh, seaweeds and so on into the menu uh, at Ballymaloo and now you know the, the whole foraging thing of course has become uh, uh, enormously fashionable and we've been at the cooking school we've been uh, doing foraging courses for nearly 20 years now and uh, it's, that's it's, it's amazing it's yeah. so, well and, and um, the two of you really have to be credited for I think putting the proper face of Irish cuisine on the map, or creating actually a face of Irish cuisine on the map of of culinary um, styles, because you know, Irish food, as you well know, I know. always got a bad rap for, <laughs> for being well, heavy and not very right tasty. I would have thought for a while, deservedly so, actually. But really, now the whole image of Irish food, particularly over here, uh, in no way reflects what's happening in Ireland. There's an incredible renaissance on the Irish food scene, and we've it's sort of like a nation growing up in a way we've really grown enormously in confidence in in Ireland in the last 20 or 25 years I mean when I was a child for example you know the term local was almost a derogatory term you know I mean if uh, the local shop a little in the village sold uh, you know some apples or or uh, currants or lovely eggs from a local farm they would charge less for them mm-hmm. uh, because they would reckon that um, you know that, that because they were local they would and uh, they would uh, you know should be sold for less and actually it was really in Italy with Marcella Hazan that I had one of those eureka moments about this because we had um, I'd been longing to learn more about Italian food you know haven't things changed so much but when was that that was I suppose in the it was in the late 
Um, yes, it was in the late 70s. I began to read about Italian food. I used to get gourmet magazine and I remember finding a recipe for pasta and rolling it out forever and ever and hanging it up to dry in the front of the Aga. And then I was desperate to learn more. And as luck would have it, uh, Jane Montong, who was the food editor, who was the editor of gourmet magazine for years, came to stay at Balamalu. And she said, well, there's only one person to go and, uh, to go to and that's Marcella Hazan. So I um, wrote away, of course, with snail mail at that time, got that little brochure back. And I remember Marcella, I think, was probably the first person to do those courses that many people do nowadays where you would have cooking classes but also you would have visits to the local markets and the cheese makers and the wine makers and all of that and it was £650 and I thought oh my God, it's so expensive, but I'd love to go. And my husband took the last money we had out of the bank and just gave me a present of that course because I'd been working very hard. We'd done a farm shop on the farm and all sorts of things. Went to Marcella and everybody had uh, spoken about, you know, how amazing Italian food was. And, of course, it was delicious and lovely. But two things happened uh, while I was there. One was that we went to visit the uh, the, the market in... Um, uh, one of the lovely markets and I noticed that a lot of uh, this was, actually I think I'm getting two trips mixed up now but anyway this was in Venice I remember there on the side of the Grand Canal and uh, there were lots, I could notice on a lot of the stalls that some, there might be two lots of tomatoes or two lots of peaches or something, one was always more expensive than the other and the one that was more expensive always seemed to say Nostrana or Nostrale and of course if you speak some Italian you'll know exactly what that means but I had no idea and I was trying to ask the uh, uh, I was asking the stallholders who were, uh, you know, what, where's this amazing place called Nostrale or Nostrada <laughs> that all the best things come from? And, you know, they get really impatient with tourists who are not buying. And they eventually somebody answered me. And he said, it's not a place. It's a, I can't do an Italian accent. He said, it's local. It's from the lagoon. And I said, well, why is it more expensive if it's local? And he said, because it's local it's fresh it's in season <laughs> and you know that was like a real eureka moment suddenly i thought well of course they've got their uh, priorities right well did this trip was this trip do you think also um you talk about the eureka moment yeah was this sort of the deciding moment too for you to think about doing this on your own absolutely this was there was another very interesting thing that happened on that thing when we went uh, on at the end that week uh, there was a big build-up to the farewell dinner in Cessanatico. I think that was Marcella's, uh, Marcella Hazan's uh, hometown. And uh, But the wonderful fish that you would, uh, we would have uh, uh, in, on this dinner. And indeed, we did have a delicious dinner. I still remember the restaurant was on stilts called La Gambara. I think it was out over the beach. And we had wonderful fish and fresh everything. But suddenly I thought, well, you know, this fish is not any better than... Uh, and in fact, the fish we get in from the boats, lovely fre- uh, fresh in Ballycotton, is every bit as good if not better than this and I suddenly thought well the solution to my whole I, you know we were wondering as the prices on the for our farm produce and, and horticultural products became less we were wondering what on earth we should do so I suddenly thought well the answer is right under my nose <laughs> we're, we're living in the middle of a farm and gardens we have acres of greenhouses we have orchards we have we're growing mushrooms and such etc so we have the produce we're right beside the sea we have this wonderful fresh fish every bit as good as the Italians. And I also realised from the markets that our own produce from our own gardens and greenhouses was absolutely every bit as good, if not better. So that was an incredibly important moment for me where suddenly I grew enormously in confidence and realised what we had uh, at home under our own noses. Well, so take me back 30 years. I mean, the, the restaurant was, it was getting going. And, oh, yes, and, it was. And, and actually, um, your mother-in-law went 
to France for a while to, to work at a restaurant. She, well, she opened a restaurant in Paris called La Ferme Hollandaise. Uh, well, when I started, the school is operating 30 years. It started in 1983. So basically, Bali was was well established uh, when I opened the uh, the cooking school. So, uh, and I remember, uh, which was in the middle of our organic farm, and I remember we were trying to decide what to call it, uh, whether we call it Darina Allen's Cooking School or Shanagari Cooking School. And my parents-in-law said, you must call it the Ballymaloo Cooking School. And at that stage, of course, Ballymaloo had already established, uh, you know, really at that point, almost a worldwide reputation for its simple, delicious food. And uh, so... Oh, was that- Primarily because it was on their property, and then you were using the uh, yes, but, but and, there, uh, yes, uh, and also because yes, I was well, we were just two miles away. But uh, I had been also doing some cooking classes with Martel originally uh, uh, in Ballymaloo. Well, and, it was a built-in brand, uh, well, <laughs> exactly. And they were very generously. Actually, it was a great act of faith in me, in one, in one way, to say, "Well, look," uh, because the name had already, uh, in many people's minds, would have uh, had a, there was a whole uh, expectation around the name. And, uh, uh, you know, and people sort of trusted that it would be real quality. So but also it was a huge responsibility uh, to actually deliver what people expected from that name. So, um, yes. well, what what was interesting to me, you know, having interviewed you before and, and of course, um, knowing you from years past and at the Food Network, um, that the school is actually you started the school with your brother. I, absolutely. That was a surprise. I yeah. didn't realize that yes. before. Well, Rory, uh, 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 my brother Rory O'Connell, uh, who uh, he had been head chef at Ballymaloo uh, and Ballymaloo House for many years, and then he sort of decided he wanted a, a break. So I said, look, why don't uh, you, you and I start the cooking school together? So we did. And he... Uh, worked with me at the cooking school for, I suppose, maybe three or four years, maybe five years in the beginning. And then he went on to, you know, to he worked at Le Manuel Catsaison and with Nicola Dennis in London and so on. And uh, But now in, the, in recent years, he's also back at the school uh, almost full time with me. And he's written, and he's at long last, about time too, he's written his first cookbook, which is called Master It. It's got amazing reviews and it's been nominated for shortlisted actually for a Nandri Simon Award which oh, is uh, the first book it took me about 11 books to actually be nominated for a, <laughs> a Nandri Simon um, my Forgotten Skills book uh, actually won it but uh, so th- that's great so it's wonderful to have Rory back at the school with me again and uh, of course we have 14 uh, teachers all together we have one, one teacher with now? every six oh. students so it's as far as we know, it's the highest teacher-student ratio of any cooking school. A lot of cooking schools have 1 to 10 or 1 to 12 or 15 sometimes, but our courses are very full-on. We tend to pack quite a lot into them, and we, our whole sort of philosophy has been to promise less and give more so that when people come... <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, also to charge enough to make sure we do can do a really good job. Yeah. Tell me how how has... How has the school changed in, in terms of, um, so in 1983, the types of foods that you teach, the types of cooking that you teach, oh, aside mm. from the, you know, the pure basics and the yes. good quality ingredients, what 
what are some of the major changes that you've observed? Well, you know, let's go back to uh, the 1982 when I started. At that stage, people were still saying, oh, a lot of people would say, oh, I don't eat garlic, you know, it doesn't agree with mm. me, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, so, I mean, literally coming from there and then uh, all, uh, then um, also that, you know, the introduction of chilies and, you know, as it gradually went along. And herbs, I, I would imagine fresh all, herbs. many herbs, yeah. Yes, well, we've all, Myrtle always had, uh, fresh herbs were an absolutely integral part of Ballymaloo type of food, always fresh herbs. So we had, but of course, when I came to Bamaloo, I had only really heard of parsley and thyme and chives and so on. You know, I mean, it was 10 years, I think I was, it was my first trip to Italy when I really tasted fresh basil for the first time, mm. or what you would call basil. Uh, but but the other wonderful thing that happened within a year or two of me uh, starting the cooking school was I suddenly thought, guest chefs, I could... I could ask people to come and teach at the school. I could ask my food heroes to come and teach at the school. So I, I remember um, the, some of the earliest people I had were like Claudia Roden and Marta Jaffrey. Uh, uh, somehow or other, I think through maybe again through Gourmet Magazine, I managed to find Marta Jaffrey's uh, phone number here in New York. And, I, you know, at that stage, again, things have changed so much, but... The thought of ringing America even was so intimidating. So I remember the courage it took to pick up the phone to ring uh, Mater. And at that stage, actually, um, I had I was terribly fortunate because Jane Montau, when she came to Bamloo, again, the editor of, magazine, of Gourmet magazine, was so taken with the uh, Ballymaloo and with the cooking school, the idea of this cooking school, which she thought was doing a really brilliant job, uh, in the most unlikely place in mm. Ireland, uh, that she sent over her food editor at that time, Zan Stewart, and uh, a photographer, Ronnie Jakes. It was a Danish photographer who used to do a lot of photography and thing. And they didn't say they were going to write um, an article or anything, uh, but of course they did a cover story mm-hmm. on the school. Of, uh, <laughs> amazingly, the Valley Middle Cooker School was the first school that gourmet a cooking school that gourmet ever wrote about. They oh, used to write about cooking schools. Yeah. But anyway, as luck would have it, um, the, the uh, cover story about the Valley Middle Cooker School was in on gourmet uh, in March '86, and that was when I picked up the phone and rang. Uh, Marcella Hassan. Oh, no, sorry, not. Uh, that's Marta when Jaffe. I picked. Up, that's when I picked up the phone and rang Marta Jaffrey. And of course, she had just read the article, and I said, you know, I've got a little cooking school in Ireland, I, and you know, I love your books and admire what you're doing. And I just wonder whether I could ever tempt you to come and teach at uh, in this little cooking school in Ireland. And she said to me, "Is it Ballymaloo?" <laughs> and I said, "It is." And and uh, so she said, "I'd love to come." I remember getting off of the phone and, and doing the equivalent of punching the air nowadays <laughs> the power power so of the press excited right? <laughs> yeah but then of course since then we have had uh, the guest chefs at the Bamboo cooking school read like a who's who of the food people from all over the world i mean you know uh, jane grigson came uh, of course marcella hazan i mean and will you know on and on and on uh uh, stephanie alexander's been over maggie bear and, and so we've had claudia Roden, we've had it's been a joy for me to have had and Yotam uh, and Sam, the Yotalengi boys and on and on and on, you know. So. Well, we have a lot more to discuss about this uh, cooking school and your, and your wonderful career. But first, we're going to take a short break. So stay with us.
Today's music is by Pamela Royal on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. Hi, we're back on A Taste of the Past, and I am talking with Darina Allen from County Cork, Ireland, and the <laughs> Ballymaloo Cooking School. And um, one of the one of the reasons for our interview, not that I wouldn't interview her for anything, actually, <laughs> is uh, the her a new book has just come out, and it is called Thirty Years at Ballymaloo, and it is a celebration of thirty years of a <laughs> cooking school. That's really to be honored, indeed, because. You know, cooking schools come and go, and some kind of get a little tired. But you, what I think is marvelous about your school and reading the progress through the book and, and having talked to you is how the school has just grown and changed with the times and how you've <laughs> just incorporated so many new, um, I don't want to say trendy things, but things that are trending, but, mm-hmm. you know, and more international type exposures and just you know growing and growing things on the farm to meet yes. the needs of of the students right? well that's it well of course also apart from the guest chefs that we've had of course i travel quite a bit as well and i've always uh, you know if you're interested in food it doesn't matter where you go you're every you know you have lunch you have dinner you see i pick up ideas you know and so i've always kept an eye on what's happening in the food world and indeed on the food trends as well but you know i pick and choose the food trends i don't follow them slavishly <laughs> the ones that really resonate with me right. i then incorporate that so, and we've gone on from doing originally just cooking classes to forgotten skills courses to gardening courses to, you know, how to cure a pig in a day, how to build a smoker and smoke your own food, how to, um, you know, all the foraging and wild food courses, the seaweed, all of those. And actually, recently, I've been doing courses for young mothers for uh, feeding babies and toddlers, which oh, is wonderful. one of the things that I've... And of course, we've become more and more uh, involved in education of our the local children in our area, in the local schools, teaching them how to grow and how to cook. How to eat and, properly, and basically. How to yeah. eat, yes, yeah. exactly. Because it, it, all over the world, there's a challenge now with, uh, you know, because we're becoming more and more detached from how food is produced. So, you know, all of us mothers and grandmothers and so on, we really need to make sure we don't let any more of our little dopes out of the house without teaching them how to cook and how right. to grow and giving them life skills. So, you know, uh, it's not enough to have academic skills. Well, that brings me to another question I wanted to ask you about the students. When you first started the school, um, you. you told a, a little intimidating story in the book but <laughs> we don't have to give away everything but who you know like what was the average age of your and the makeup of your first few students and how many students did you well, first I think have? on the first uh, um, co- uh, course we had I think it was 11 students or something like that and uh, then we went to sort of 13 and 15 and 18 and then within 10 years we were bursting at the seams in the original building because the cooking school as it still is is in uh, started in in farm buildings and then uh, we have 
all around the uh, uh, the farmyard, we have converted a lot of those uh, rest of the farm buildings into uh, uh, catering accommodation, lovely cottages where the students stay. Uh, so, but then it's you know gradually over the years the numbers have increased. Now we take sixty students actually, and hu- there's a huge mixture of nationalities on this course at the moment. This we do everything from three month certificate courses to days, weekends, weeks, etc. On this course, there are nine nationalities. On the last course, there were fourteen nationalities. So you can imagine our little village in Ireland becomes very cosmopolitan. Right. Uh, and we've had lots of romances, and also somebody ah. came back recently with his girlfriend that he met at the school and proposed to her down by the pond in the garden and she said yes oh that's exciting Fancy, wasn't that nice <laughs> so uh, yes yeah, so that's uh, so now uh, literally but mostly the reason why they come from abroad and everything is because they can have this farm to fork experience they can go out of the gardeners in the morning they can learn how to sow seeds they can literally learn if they want to how to milk a cow and that sounds a bit extreme but you'd be surprised how many people love to d- do that and then they can separate the milk from the cream uh, bring it up we make butter every day we make yogurt uh, cheese they can bring their cheeses home with them after they've when they're going home not into America or Australia right. but uh, uh, but basically and of course and sourdough breads and all sorts of things so gradually what we're teaching now has evolved and actually this book there's 30 years at Ballymlew the, the recipes that are in this and there are well over 100 recipes in it uh, these really reflect the sort of food that we're cooking at the school and at Ballymlew and of course in Ireland at the moment as well so um, you know it's and we of course again the basic philosophy of Ballymaloo to use fresh food in season locally produced and a lot of a lot of food from the farm is or our, our own farm is organic so a lot of the food we use is organic right. and, well uh, you mentioned that you do offer a certificate course now that do the yeah. people who take the certificate course are they primarily uh, Irish students because they um, want to go on and work in a restaurant no, obviously. they're literally from all over the world I've just come back from India actually uh, and uh, our first we've had several Indian students uh, but our, our first Indian student to open a restaurant has opened a, a restaurant in Mumbai, very successful. It's just been nominated uh, for the best uh, continental, you know, restaurant uh, in Mumbai because, you know, they love to do European food as well. So that we're very, very proud of our babies. Yes. They're all over the world. <laughs> and many of them have, you know, are very well known now, have done television series. And I don't I think something like 26 past students at this stage have written, you know, best-selling cookbooks. And at least seven or eight of those have television series with it. I mean, not just my daughter-in-law, uh, Rachel, who, by the way, married my eldest son. <laughs> so, the <tradition laughs> so, so the tradition goes on. Right? But, you know, uh, people like uh, Thomasina Mars and, uh, you know, and then they, you know, people like Stevie Parle, not only has he got a restaurant, but he writes in the te- British Telegraph every Saturday. So they're, they're uh, you know, they're all over the place. So every, every time I travel, you know, somebody pops up from behind a counter somewhere in, and I always can say a joke that I couldn't go away with my toy boy because it doesn't matter where I am. <laughs> somebody knows jumps up right. and says, "Who's that?" <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's we're so proud of our uh, babies, as we call them, all over the world. Our students who are oh, that's really, uh, you know, doing well, and and uh, you know, of course, on the twelve week course, it's really full on course. It's like gastro boot camp almost, but they have so much fun. But they work really hard, and at the end of twelve weeks, they have the skills to earn their living from their cooking. So that three month course now is a real immersion in how food is produced, and you know, the, and all of that, and it means 
that they that that course is now looked on as an investment. People actually sometimes money borrow spent, money, yes. or they actually use redundancy money, even sometimes uh, to do that course. And then they can start a business, or they can start uh, you know go and work in a restaurant or catering business or whatever. Write about food. There's so many options if you right. if you can cook. Right, and in, in, indeed, money well spent. Um, and you with the cooking school, well, of course, you you didn't become an overnight sensation and star <laughs> just at the cooking school but uh something happened i think that really catapulted you and and that was a television show can you tell well, us a little bit about that story uh, yes well that you know I, i've been really so fortunate to have had so many opportunities kind of landed into my lap almost uh, the uh, i think it was this cooking school was operating about two years and suddenly one day a letter came in the post as they say uh, and it was from our irish television station asking whether i would be interested in doing a pilot for a cooking series with my mother-in-law, Myrtle Allen. And And this was when? This was, gosh, when was this? Now, was this in the 90s? I should know the answer I'm thinking it's around the 90s, if I remember reading. Yes, I think so. I should know these things. Well, anyway, I, I sort of then tossing it backwards and forwards. I'd never seen a television camera, by the way, when I got that letter in real life. So I was kind of thinking, well, I won't. Oh, no, I can't possibly do that. I'll make such a fool of myself. <laughs> oh, and then I thought, oh, well, if I don't, you know, I'll be living with, well, what if? So I thought it would be better to live with, you know, well, even if I had done it and it wasn't a big success, it would be better than living with, well, I wish I'd done it. So I had a go and actually... We, I decided that you know my food is very simple and I just the whole message is start off with really good ingredients, cook it simply so it tastes delicious, and it actually just went into orbit. So and then the, I was asked to do cookbooks with that and that, made, you know I kept it simple and delicious. And the first cookbook made it, made Irish publishing history. <laughs> it was made by a cookbook. Uh, that was when I had brown hair and red glasses. Though. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> the red glasses are back, I yes, will tell people. Uh, and I did, like, I think nine or 11 series of, I, of those. I'm yeah. thinking it was before the, I th- 1988, maybe? Well, it could so, well be. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I, dates are not my big thing. So uh, but uh, so so that was, and then one book sort of followed another and so on. So, and, yeah. one, and the rest is history, as <laughs> yes. we can say here on <laughs> yeah. Taste, of, uh, Taste of the Past. Yeah. Uh, you did have, um, I mean, this... What, the, the series was called Simply Delicious? The, Simple that series delicious. was called Simply Delicious, Simply but I also, delicious. we did a year at Ballymaloo and, uh, and uh, you know, there were various other ones as well, so yeah. Now, who knew farm food was going to become, you know, <laughs> a hit, such a hit? Uh, I, what I wanted to, um, to have you relate to our listeners, because it is something that does happen, but people don't realize what impact it can have, and that is sometimes, and people beware when you read, especially on the internet these days, yes. recipes that there can be mistakes. Indeed, <laughs> you. Have, I've got a real, I have a quite a story about this one. Okay. Actually, this was connected as well to the first uh, Simply Delicious uh, television program and the book that went with it. Um, the the book astonished the book sales, absolutely astonished me and but the publishers and in fact the television uh, channel because it just literally they couldn't keep them. You know, as as they said in Ireland, it's sold in telephone numbers. And so my publisher then suddenly realised, well, my goodness, there's something going on here. So literally within a couple of months of that first book being published, he, he said, look, we should, this was about June or midway through June, he said, look, I think we should do a book for Christmas. We should do Simply Delicious Christmas. So I uh, I said, right. And so again, I started to gather up the recipes, got them into the editor. And I wanted to put both my mother's plum pudding and my mother-in-law's plum pudding uh, in 
to, which is traditional dessert in Ireland uh, or sweet for uh, Christmas Day, uh, into the book. And so Martel had already published the Ballymaloo cookbook, which is just this year being reissued to celebrate mm. 50 years of Ballymaloo, uh, with Gillian Macmillan and I put I gave them my own mother's recipe, which is fine. Gillian Macmillan said, well, look, we'll convert the measurements because in, in my Christmas book, I do imperial um, and also metric and, of course, American measurements. So they, little junior in the office, got this recipe, looked and saw a two-pan loaf of bread to make breadcrumbs. And, of course, she was young and didn't realise that how we used to make breadcrumbs years ago was you'd buy a loaf of bread let it get stale, you'd cut off the crust and then you'd make crumbs on, a, on an ordinary box grater with the centre. So she converted two pounds of breadcrumbs and put it into the... Uh, and that the conversions were done, she went straight into the book because they were in such a hurry to go to print. And literally within three or four days of the book being on the shelves, the phone started to ring and people said, you know, there's something wrong with this recipe. It says it makes three and I've got five plump bodies of the breadcrumbs everywhere. And I suddenly looked and I realised what had happened and my heart... Oh, that awful sinking feeling when you can see the page, the print won't change on the page and it's a mistake <laughs> and that's it. And so I rang up my publisher. So it wasn't two pounds of breadcrumbs, it was breadcrumbs from a two pound loaf. loaf. Yes, right. but she was young and didn't realise right. that's what it was. So it was, and two, the, the breadcrumbs from a two pound loaf would be about seven and a half or eight ounces as mm. opposed to two pounds. Big difference. Phenomenal <laughs> difference. So I rang my publishers and they said, look, t- you can tell people it's a publisher's error. And I said, no, we can't just do that because I've got to go on, on the radio and on television to tell people there's a mistake in the book because people by this stage, even after just one television series, absolutely trusted my recipes implicitly because I was so meticulous and still am about testing recipes. And we tested and tested. And I wanted people when they, you know, when they got up from watching the television program, people would say to me, I wanted to rush into the kitchen and make it. And then I wanted it to turn out perfectly for them. So Mm. I felt a big responsibility. So anyway, Michael Gill, lovely Michael Gill from Gill Macmillan, agreed. I went on uh, the Gay Barnes chat show, which was the most listened to chat show in Ireland, and told the Irish nation about the mistake in the plum pudding. And they, you know, the Sun, the tabloid newspapers had ca- cartoons about breadcrumbs coming out of everything and so on. And uh, so um, the, then people, they say there's no such thing as bad publicity because the bookshop said that then, it sh- even though there was no television series with it at that stage, although I did do a television series the following year to go with it, they said people poured into the show shops, the bookshops, and said, could we have Darina Allen's new book with the mistake in it? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even know what the name was. And then I ended up by, you know, sending plum puddings all over the country that Christmas because people would ring me up and say, oh, we made our plum puddings, you know, the plum pudding, bread comes everywhere. And I think many were genuine, but I think a few people got a plum pudding that never stirred the plum pudding, <laughs> but nonetheless. So there we are. It's a, it's a salutary tale, but it caused great amusement in Ireland. I have to say there were jokes on all the radio programs and newspapers and everything about the there's breadcrumbs coming out of the plum pudding everywhere. So. Well, it turned out to be a wonderful marketing tool because, as you said, people trusted you, and now well, yes. and they go back to your and recipes. I, I and I couldn't they do trust bear you. for for not to put in a correction because I didn't want to spoil people's Christmases. And uh, you know, in the end, uh, food writer for the most important thing for us as food writers is to build up a bond of trust with our 
uh, readers. And we, I, I feel quite strongly about this, actually, that many, many uh, food writers, I, I think it's fair to say, don't take this responsibility seriously enough. So it's particularly serious for, you know, beginners because they cling to a recipe and then they'll say, oh, I can't cook, you know. But oftentimes the blinking recipe didn't work properly in the first place. So That's I right. just do think it is very important for us as food writers to to really understand the responsibility we And you we have a cooking there. school at stake as well. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Oh, yes. Well, of course, this is the other great thing about the cooking school is that if there's anything, a recipe that needs to be tweaked, you'll discover the following day, basically, because... Uh, and also, when I, if, if suddenly a couple of students are making, for doing the same kind of mistake in inverted commas, there's no such thing as a mistake, really. It's a, an opportunity to learn, I suppose. But if, if several people do the same thing, I immediately, you know, I don't think, well, why did you do that? I, I just, I say, why, why did this happen? And I go back to the recipe. And usually it's because I haven't been quite specific enough mm-hmm. in the method. So, of course, it's a great advantage to have the cooking school in that way so to keep tweaking the recipes and i think it's wonderful i think recipes are coming back more you know they they started out with very elaborate head notes Mm. and explanations and julia child was very good at explaining how things should look at each stage yes then all of a sudden then they got pared down to nothing yes and as you say people weren't sure what they were doing right Uh, or wrong so i think now we're back to a a trend of of Writing yes, them more not fully. assuming knowledge. Right. I mean, particularly for beginners, you you know you have to assume less rather than more knowledge. Exactly. It's, it's not fair to them otherwise. Right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so there are lots of wonderful recipes in here, and a lot of international dishes. I must say as well in yes. in the book. Well, it reflects the, the as I said the kind of food that we're cooking at the cooking school and the kind of food that you can have in Ireland now. If you come to Ireland, uh, you know uh, uh, the the food scene in Ireland is so exciting and so well, on. So I say, it does, you look at this book and you say, well, this, this is not what I expect. This is not what I expect is Irish food. Well, you can't say there are just Irish recipes in here because yes, exactly. they're international and, they, and they're all That's right. yeah. equally delicious. And if, it, when, if people are coming to Ireland, if they look at www.ireland.com if they want to get information about Ireland, and if they're coming anywhere near us, they're often in cooking classes at the cooking school every day and cookingisfun.ie. If you look that up, you can see exactly what we're cooking on any day. How many students in a, let's say, a one-year period of time rotate oh, gosh, through the we school? have, uh, I suppose, thousands, really. But we, we only take, we take 60 students at a time, and that sounds like a lot, but that is just, uh, in fact, the, everybody is demonstrated to together, and then they divide into four kitchens, and we and have, have one, one per teacher six. with every uh, six students. So, uh, that, so there's really... Um, uh, that's an incredible help to people when they're uh, when they're learning. But one of the most exciting things we've n- now been doing, it's a more recent thing, is that we do a literary festival of food and wine every year as well. We did started last year in inaugural one, and we were hoping for two and a half to 3,000 people. We had over 8,000 people. It was written up by the New York Times. So these are cookbook authors and recipe yes. developers and, and yes. historians. Uh, people but an come incredible uh, lineup of speakers from literally the, the who, top. Huh? And it's just we decided not to go really for the celebrity chefs, but more for the scholarly, iconic food writers who write beautiful prose as well as cook beautifully. Uh, like, uh, uh, you know, like, again, Marta Jeffrey, Claudia Roden, Alice Waters, Stephanie Alexander, David Thompson, Sandra Katz, such as, So this year, Rennie Redzepi is coming from Noma and the Ottolenghi boys are coming and so on. So it's uh, that this year, it's from the 16th to the 18th of May. So if anybody's in Ireland at that time, you know, it, it should well, be it, such it, a... Ba- well, actually, we want to make it an, uh, the Sundance of... 
of food and wine. It uh, sounds like you're on your way. Festivals. You do have some pictures of, of last year's fest in the book, which um, I remember you telling me about it, and it was so great to see the pictures then of what was going on, and everybody, David Thompson, and giving every, everything from... from Farm cooking to to, to Thai cooking. I mean, yes. it was just and David Tanis actually. For, uh, oh, he writes in the New York he's, Times. Yes, he's right? coming. He's coming back again this year as well. Great. And I just love David's food. It's yeah. so lovely. He mm. was a chef at Chez Panisse for that's for, right. for a Indeed long time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and uh, by the way, Diana Kennedy is coming this year. Diana Kennedy, the Diane of Mexican cooking. I mean, how amazing is she? Another Bless ninety her year old. Soul. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Indeed. Um, mm. Well, what an opportunity for people not only to to visit the Ballymaloo Cooking School, but then to get a chance to hear all these wonderful food writers <laughs> and and cookbook authors and and learn from their experience as well. Mm-hmm. Cooking demonstrations also along with that, right? They, uh, exactly, yeah. and uh, also uh, um, and food history uh, again, of course, and and uh, budding food writers, things, of farmers markets, a huge fringe event as well. Uh, so uh, and also about growing foraging as well. Alice Fowler is coming again this year to do some foraging, and she'll be doing that with Renny Rezepi from Noman Copenhagen. Well, it sounds like an experience not to miss. So, <laughs> Darina, it's always a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much, and congratulations on not only the book, but congratulations on 30 years of cooking <laughs> instruction at Ballymaloo. That is that is admirable. And, of course, all your success in your books, and I wish you more, because we have to come back next year, so you have to write another book. Right? <laughs> you don't have to write a book to well, come back. You can are. come back anytime. <laughs> thank you so much, Darina uh, Allen. Thank you so and much, Linda, for this, having me on. This has been A Taste of the Past. And I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>